Well, I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If this is your first Sunday here, we are studying the book of Acts, and we have left off in chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Also, for the kids in the room, especially if this is your first Sunday here, um, we are... I'm asking you if you would like to draw some pictures while the sermon's going on, especially today. There's some great things we're going to be talking about. And if you want to draw anything that you hear that comes as, as we're going through the sermon, what I want to do is just have you bring and give me your pictures. After the service, I'll be up front here. Bring me your pictures up front that you're drawing. Uh, and we are collecting them. And I think, Lord willing, in the next week or two, we'll actually be having them the pictures you've drawn scrolling on the screen before the service. So you'll get a chance to see the pictures that you've drawn up there. We do have them. We've collected them. I love them. You guys are drawing some wonderful pictures. And so, so kids, just as you're listening today, there's some incredible things, incredible descriptions in Acts chapter 2 that will make some wonderful pictures. So if you want to draw a picture, and even if you're not a kid and you just like to draw you're welcome to come in the kids' line and drop off your picture. And you might even get a high five from me. So. But, uh, but kids, I'm excited about that and excited uh, and love the artwork that you guys are turning in. This is great, great stuff. Got some great pictures, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you uh, have this week. So this morning we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I am excited about this passage, and I would like to just read it to you. Uh, as we go through, before we study it and pray here this morning. So just, just listen as I read to you Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the days of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing it in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each one of us in his own native language, Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, They're filled with new wine. Let's pray together. God, as we now come before this text, I pray, God, that, that we would see this and, and it would just encourage us, change us, allow us to be just conformed to your purposes for our lives. Thank you for our time to celebrate this moment, the table together, and all that we've been able to do to this point. And now may our time in your word be sweet and rich. 
and make us deeper worshipers of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin by asking you a question. If I were to say, well, well, I'll just ask you the question. Forget all the words. Here's the question. What do you think the power of Satan is? You know, you hear people say Satan has power, or, or um, Paul says in Ephesians that, you know, you were following the prince of the power of the air. Or Peter says that Satan's roaming around like a lion waiting to destroy you. Or that when Christ was on the cross, he was disarming Satan, removing him of his power. What's the power of Satan? You ever think about that? Some people might think, oh, it's a supernatural power. Maybe, you know, uh, makes, you know, green slime come on walls or freaks people out or makes rooms shake or Satan, you know, just takes over people and they start making weird noises and things like that. Or, you know, maybe Satan will just take this pulpit and throw it across the room and we're all going to go, oh. Like that. What is his power? Is it that? Some people deny the power of Satan, especially when you think of like what Paul said that, you know, non, if you're not in Christ, you're following after the prince of the power of the air. Some people might say, wait a minute, my Uncle Joe's not a believer and, you know, he's not following after the prince of the power of the air. He's a good guy, man. If your car broke down in the middle of the night, he'd help you. There's no power like that. There's no power in anybody's power. What is the power of Satan? Well, I want to tell you what it is. I want to give it to you in a nutshell as I see it in the scriptures. And I want to tell you this because I think it's important to understand this so that you can understand what's going on in the book of Acts. And especially when the Spirit of God comes. The power of Satan is very simply this. <clears throat> the power of Satan is his ability to lie and deceive. That's his power. If you think about it, everything, every sin, every horrible thing that happens in the world starts with a lie. Let's take a really heinous, heinous thing like Adolf Hitler, Nazi Germany. Heinous thing, right? It's just horrible, horrible stuff, horrible atrocities done. But it began with a guy by the name of Hitler who believed that he was the anointed leader of the Germanic people and that it was his job to unite the Germanic people that were scattered throughout Europe and to bring them together into a thousand-year reign. That was a lie that he believed. And because of that lie, that he believed he was that one, out of that lie came all the atrocities. If you think about it, every single thing that happens. Why do people steal? Because they believe the lie that what they have is not enough and they need more. Why do people hurt other people? Because they believe maybe justice is theirs and they've got to exact justice and vengeance because justice doesn't belong to God it belongs to us why do people pursue things in horrible ways you know why do we hurt each other because we believe that we that that our anger achieves more than the forgiveness and mercy of God and it all begins with a lie this is why John 8 44 Jesus is talking to the Pharisees he's telling them that you know your religious system is is horrible and you're following after Satan and listen to the way that he describes this John 8, 44, he says, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not, listen, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. 
What did he do? He did not say to Adam and Eve, eat the fruit. Nor did he even try to literally kill them by picking up a stick or a rock and throwing it at them. What did he do? He just said, listen, God can't be trusted. He's lying to you. Disobedience is better than obedience. If you can get the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be in a better place than you are now. And they said, wow, that makes sense. And then what did they do? They acted on the lie. They ate of the fruit and they died. Now, what does this have to do with Acts? The Spirit of God comes. What is the evidence of the Spirit of God in the book of Acts? Well, if you were to follow through the book of Acts and look at every time the Spirit of God shows up in a big way, you want to know what happens? People start to talk. People start speaking. And Jesus told his disciples at the beginning, I'm sending you out to be my witness, to do what? To bear witness of me. And who am I? I am the truth. I am the way. I am the way you get life. I am the way that you get hope. It is my truth that matters. And so suddenly now, the believer of God is empowered by the Spirit of God to bear testimony to the truth of God. And so Satan's power is lies, but the victory comes in the truth. And when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of God comes, he empowers the child of God to bear witness to the truth of God. And that is where the hope comes from. So you think about it. This world's filled with all kinds of lies, right? There are, there are some people who think that, you know, they, they, they think that the best way to honor God is to kill the infidel, right? That's a lie. How does God deal with sin? He doesn't deal with sin by saying kill the infidel. He dealt with sin by saying kill me. I'll die for the sinners. I want to give them up. See, there's the hope. There is truth. That would bring healing to a troubled world, right? I'm not asking you to kill for God. I'm asking you to look at God who is willing to die for you. There's truth in a world filled with lies. Some people think, oh, God could never love me because I'm so sinful. And then I could say, but remember the truth. You are that sinful. In fact, it's probably worse than you even realize. (laughs) But the news is even better. God saw it all and said, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to forgive you. There's all kinds of things. Some of you are filled with rage, and you think the best way to run your home is by just coming in with a heavy fist and yelling at your kids and yelling at your wife or yelling at your husband. And you say, no, the anger of God achieves nothing but more wrath. But the truth is what? Forgiveness and mercy brings healing and restoration. Truth spoken in a world of lies. You see, that's the reality. So, Here's where we're going with this. Why I'm setting this up this way is we're going to see the Spirit of God come upon these believers. And they will begin to speak the truth of God. And the rest of Acts is this message going to the nations of the world. That God is bringing his truth among a world that has been just run by the lies of Satan. And the hope and the healing come. So we'll see it. We're going to begin this journey. We won't finish chapter 2 today. We'll just hit the first 13 verses. We'll just set the table. We'll see the arrival of the Spirit, and then we're going to see how it manifested. And I want you just to see this, because I want you to catch the reality that when the Spirit of God comes, He comes to empower the child of God to bear testimony to the truth of God. And that is what our world needs to hear. Because the power of Satan is in his lies. All of the lies that people believe that bring hurt and pain and misery to the world. 
So let's look at it. Let's begin. Let's look at the arrival of the Spirit. There's three things I want to point out to you as we look at this. I want you to see the noise. I want you to see a manifestation. And I want you to see them speaking. You've got to see these three things in order for the story to really kind of hit you. So let's look at the noise. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the, Jesus told the disciples, wait until the day, has a, the day comes. And the day that comes is the day of Pentecost, a celebration of Pentecost. Pentecost basically means 50 days. It's, it's a celebration that came 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after the Passover, they were to gather together and celebrate the provision of God. That, that celebration got pretty complex by the time Jesus came. It began with just what they used to call the first fruits. You celebrated the harvest, you celebrated God providing food. And then later they began to start adding in the fact that, well, not only does he provide physical food, he provided our spiritual food, so he gave us the law. And he gave, and on and on it went. So it was a big celebration. And to understand the celebration, just understand this, they were celebrating the provision of God. God had provided everything, spiritually and physically for them. Fifty days after Passover, they all gather back into Jerusalem again. And they're all celebrating the provision of God. What a great time for God to give the Spirit in this way, isn't it? Right? You, you think you've celebrated the law, you're celebrating you know, your harvest, you're celebrating all these things. Guess what? not only providing all that, he's now bringing the promised spirit. The spirit that would come and write the truth of God on our hearts. So here they are. They're in this, they're, the, 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 the disciples are all together still. There's 120 of them hanging around around the upper room. Look at verse 2. And suddenly, which means it just like hit hard and fast, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Suddenly, out of heaven came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, around a tornado before, but I actually was when I was a kid. A tornado came through our neighborhood. And, uh, and back then there weren't those alarms and different things. So when the storms would get really bad, you'd turn on your radio and, and you'd listen to the radio. And we heard, you know, everybody get in the basement. And so we all got in the basement and boy, it was loud. It was a loud sound. I remember that. When I think about this, I think about that sound. You know, I remember just hearing, you know, just this, the wind coming through. <coughs> Sorry, I can't make wind sounds with this leftover residual of the pneumonia. So we'll be low on sound effects this morning. Here. Sound comes in, and it's powerful. In fact, you see there in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There's a lot of different translations of that word. You know, one translation could be violent. In fact, I like that one better than mighty. The idea of forceful. Here's the point. There was no question that something was happening. This was not some subjective experience. right? This was not just some moment where some people said, boy, did you feel that? I think it was the spirit. I don't know, I didn't feel it. No, I did. Right? It wasn't that kind of thing. It was like the all of a sudden... There is this noise coming out of the sky. And in fact, we're going to see in a little bit, everyone heard it, man. People started rushing to the upper room. What is that noise? What is going on here? Now, why does God communicate that way? Think about this. Well, actually, this is the way God always communicates when he's about to do something. 
always. To the Jew, this would have not been a weird thing in the sense that some, God's doing something he's never done before. We're not necessarily used to this, but, but in their day, anytime God was about ready to do something big, it involved all kinds of big, terrible sounds. Just Exodus 19. God's going to give the law, right? So right, you would think, you know, in, I'm German, so my efficient German matter, you know, God would just show up with the law all nice and neat on nice little square bricks. But he doesn't do that. He says, you're going to go to the top of this mountain. And here's what's going to happen. Exodus 19. Listen, listen to this description. Kids, this would be a wonderful picture if you're waiting for something to draw. Listen to this description. Moses told, you've got to go get the law. You're going to go up here. I'm going to talk to you. Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud, loud, loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. I mean, that's loud, right? I mean, if it's freaking you out, that's, that's loud. This is the sound, right? The trumpets blasting, thunder, lightning, dark cloud, loud trumpet. Verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, right? If Moses hadn't done that, they would have stayed in the camp, right? They were scared. This is a big moment. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. I mean, when God shows up, he shows up. I just can't imagine standing there with the ground shaking and... and some heavenly being blowing this trumpet from the top of a mountain. All this smoke and lightning. And then Moses says, God, and you're right. I mean, how intense that must have been. Well, God is bringing his spirit to rest upon his disciples so that they would bear witness to the glory and majesty of Jesus. When he's going to do that, he's going to make sure everyone knows it. So all of a sudden, out of heaven comes this sound, <coughs> this chugging sound, and it gets everybody's attention. And this is the sign. There's the noise. I want you to catch the noise because this moment when the Spirit descended was a public moment. It's a public moment. It's not a secret moment, not a subjective moment quantifiable moment no question about it the noise appears now look at the manifestation verse 3 and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them divided tongues as a fire appeared another powerful picture divided tongues as a fire what is this this is an picture, so catch the picture in your mind. So here's what you have to catch. 120 people in an upper room. I don't know what that would look like, what the room looked like, whether or not somewhere on the roof or how this played itself out. 120 people. Big sound coming out of heaven. We're going to see in a moment in the text, it's drawing people from the streets to the room. That We'll see that in a minute. So it's a very powerful moment. And then all of a sudden, something happens. It wasn't real fire, 
But some kind of manifestation came upon all 120 people. That's what divided tongues means. It means suddenly all 120 people had some kind of manifestation that looked like fire, which wouldn't be unreasonable because whenever God showed up, he shows up in fire most of the time, right? Got the burning bush. You got the, you got the, the pillar of fire. I mean, fire was one of God's ways that he showed up. It's a wonderful image of him, I think, because it's, fire is everything. It burns, it purifies, it comforts, it judges, it, it's hopeful. If you're cold, you're excited that you get a fire going. At the same time, you know, you don't sleep in a fire, right? I mean, it's dangerous. So there's all kinds of things that go with fire. I think it's a great picture of God. So now, all 120 people are there, and this fire kind of manifestation comes upon each one of them, and it rested upon them. When it rested upon them, notice though, it says divided tongues came. The word tongues literally means dialects, and we're going to see in a minute, as we, as we read just a little bit ago, suddenly all 120 people are speaking a whole boatload of languages. It's a powerful moment. But the point here is that God brought something, this manifestation upon each one of them. Why? Because the Spirit of God comes upon the child of God to cause them to bear testimony to the truth of God. That's what's happening. The Spirit of God is coming upon each one of them so that they could become a witness to God and His glory and His majesty and His might because the world needs truth. The world is just in constant lies and surrounded by lies and deceived by all kinds of lies. And the child of God can come in and speak truth. So there's the manifestation. Now notice what happened, verse 4 leads us to speech. Notice, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other dialects. Anytime you see the word tongues, you can put dialects. In other dialects, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, Spirit of God comes for this reason. The world needs to hear truth because it is under the power of Satan. And the power of Satan is his deception. And that deception is there, but the Spirit of God comes, and now they speak. And you know what's fascinating? You read through Acts, Spirit of God shows up, somebody starts talking. Every time the Spirit of God shows up. There are more sermons in the book of Acts than there are anything else. There is just talk, 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 talk. Why? What is the commission at the beginning of Acts? You will be my witness. The world will know who I am. The way, the truth, and the life will be proclaimed to the nations so they could be set free. So that's what you have. So there is the Spirit showing up. Now let's look at how it manifests itself. I want you to notice as, it, as, as Luke unfolds the story, he manifests himself, again starts talking about noise, and this noise is going to lead to a, a search, and the search is going to lead to speaking. We're going to see the same kind of thing again. Notice the noise. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now just a little historical review, so you kind of get the idea of what's happening. 
You go all the way back to the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Medigo, you know those, that, that time period of the Bible. Go back to that time. What did Nebuchadnezzar do when he, when he finally conquered the, the entire region, not just Israel, but all the area, Turkey and Iraq, the whole region, when he got it all, his philosophy, his strategy was this. People won't revolt if I take them out of their homeland, separate them, and put them in different countries and make them adopt the customs of their countries. So that was his philosophy. That's what he did. So he removed the Jews, removed two-thirds of them out of Israel, put them all over the place, put them in Egypt, put them in Turkey, put them in Iraq, put them in Syria, put them everywhere, and then forced them to adopt the customs of that country. When the Persians came and kicked out Nebuchadnezzar, they had a different philosophy. They said, no, we think everybody should go back to their homeland. If they're in their homeland, they'll be happier. And so that's when a lot of the Jews came back, and, and they were rebuilding the wall, book of Nehemiah. Those, those books talk about that. But not, some came back, but some stayed. They were embedded. They had been living for 70 years in, this, in, this, in their land, and they had a generation raised there. But they picked up the language and the customs a little bit. But what you see here are people from that whole generation. You know, hundreds of years ago, their forefathers fathers were brought out there. They stayed there, and they've been there 500 years. But during all the festivals, some of the devout Jews would come back to Jerusalem. But they didn't speak Hebrew. They didn't speak Aramaic. They spoke Egyptian. They spoke Persian. They spoke Latin. Different languages. Now, God wants his disciples to bear testimony to the nations of the world. But the great thing about the Spirit of God is what does the Spirit of God do? It empowers people to do what? To bear testimony to God. So now, Pentecost... People from all the nations of the world have come. And what's happened? They hear the noise. The noise is powerful enough to get their attention. Right? It is powerful enough to get their attention. They hear the chugging sound, the powerful sound, coming over that, the, the upper room, and they're like, what is that? And they start walking over there. And as they're walking over there, they start hearing something. 120 people preaching all at the same time. And these, so they got the sound of heaven, and then they got the sound of these guys preaching. And not only are they preaching, they're preaching in Egyptian. They're preaching in Latin. They're preaching in Persian. They're going on and on. Individual dialects are going on. And, and all these guys are wandering in, right? The, the, the people from Greece are walking in. They're hearing Greek. And, and the people who are living in Rome are hearing Latin. And they're all, what is this? It's 120 people speaking our language. The noise gets their attention, leads them to a search now. They're trying to figure out what happened. Look at verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. See, the Spirit of God united all people from all nations into one place. Right? Multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? If you're Galilean, you should be insulted by that statement, okay? That's not a compliment, okay? To be a Galilean was considered to be kind of your, uh, your, your dopey countrymen, right? You don't, you don't know anything. So they got 120 Galileans, uneducated guys, and all of a sudden you got 120 uneducated people speaking the languages of the world. 
Yeah, that would get your attention. That really would. You would say, what in the world? How in the world could these uneducated people do this? They are amazed, bewildered. Those are very powerful words. Basically saying, this is beyond belief. And notice that they all heard. Notice the hearing, verse 8. And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native tongue? Parthenians and Medes and on and on, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea. I mean, if you had a map and you read that whole thing, you know, it's just the entire Roman Empire is what you've got covered. From Turkey all the way over to, I guess I'm doing this backwards for you, right? Turkey, right? All the way over here to Iran, coming on down around Israel, all the way down to Egypt. Everywhere, people from all these nations. And notice verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, which means even Gentiles that have converted to Judaism, right? People from Crete, Arabians, we hear them, notice, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them, there's the word tongues again, our own dialects. We hear them speaking in our own dialects the mighty works of God. Why? God is committed to telling the world the truth that he has come to redeem that he has come to save, that he's come to deliver them, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is life, that he sent his son to die, that he sent his son to be the ruler and judge of the universe. You can just imagine these guys going off on everything that God did. He died, he saved you, he redeemed you, he rose from the dead, he's the judge of the living and the dead, and the good news is the judge of the world could be your defense attorney on the day of judgment, so trust in him. This is great news. You can just imagine these guys proclaiming it in Latin and Egyptian and all these things, right? On and on it goes. Look at verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? It's kind of a Jewish thing, right? They're always wondering what the sign means. This is a sign. We know it's a sign. What does it mean? And Peter, we're going to see next week, Lord willing, he's going to tell him what it means. But verse 13 has to identify the fact that in every room, there's always the critic, right? The person who believes God's gifted them with opinions, and they must share them, right? Because this benefits everybody, right? Criticism is a great thing, and the world needs it, right? So these people, that's what they believe they're gifted with. And what do they say? Ah, come on, they're just drunk. That's what they're saying. They're just drunk. I hope that makes you laugh, right? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm an expert on drunkenness, but I tell you one thing. When I was in the military, we'd go out, all the guys would go out, and some would go out and just get hammered. None of them started speaking Egyptian, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it wasn't like a whole bunch of drunk airmen all of a sudden starting to speak Egyptian. Like, what happened? Oh, I'm just drunk. Every time I'm drunk, I start speaking Turkish. I don't know why. It just, just kind of happens, you know? It's what alcohol does to you. And it uh, makes you speak Egyptian. You know, it's like, what is that? They're drunk. You know, it's the critics. Critics don't think. They just share, Right? That's their gift, right? Don't think. Just talk. Whatever comes to your mind, say it fast. Right? And that's what they're doing. Here's the point, though. It got the attention of Jerusalem. It got the attention. Now, next week, we're going to see what, how Peter addresses this crowd. I want to stop here. What I want to do at this point is just make a, two observations that I want you to think about with this text observations I think are very important. I want to show you God's heart, and I want to show you God's plan. 
Because I want you to see the heart of God here, and I want you to see the plan of God. Because if you see the heart of God and the plan of God, you'll see how this all unfolds in the book of Acts and, and the beauty and the power of this. Let's look at the heart of God. God's heart is simply this, to have his truth declared to the whole world. That's his heart. Really is his heart. He wants his truth declared to the whole world. Why is that important? Because I'm seriously like the thought about Satan and like if Satan appeared in my bedroom tonight and all of a sudden started, you know, making the bed shake and made the curtains rattle and knocked things off my dresser drawer or my dresser. I wouldn't really freak out because I can do all those things, right? I mean, I could get on my bed and I can shake my curtains and I could whip things off, right? That doesn't really freak me out. I don't walk through my house at night afraid of the boogeyman. It doesn't bother me. But what actually does concern me, what actually does get my attention, is when I'm driving along and I allow a worry to take root in my heart. And I begin to allow that worry to own me. And I begin to start thinking about something and obsessing on it and then worrying about it to such a degree that I can't let it go. That's a lie from Satan. Because if that happens to me, what happens? Well, I start tracking that worry down the road and I forget that God's in control and that he's king. And that my life is in his hands all the time. And that there's never a moment when I'm not under the control and the love and the compassionate care of a father who died, sent his son to die for me. Why would I allow that worry to own me? You see, I'm not afraid of the boogeyman in the middle of the night. But what I want to have is that awareness of deception. Steve, worry about this. It's all falling apart. I'm not afraid of the boogeyman, but what, but what I do want to be aware of is anger. And thinking that the anger of man can achieve the righteousness of God. Of thinking that I can, that somehow, act out of wrath and feel as if that will accomplish more than forgiveness. And to believe that forgiveness, if I forgive, I'm just enabling people to do it more. Therefore, I must not forgive. That's a lie. Right? That's the power of Satan. The power of Satan is in the lies that go through your brain every day. The power of Satan is that driving to work and, and the bitterness towards your boss building up and owning you to the point where you're thinking, wouldn't it be so cool if he got really hurt today <laughs> and didn't show up, you know, wound up in the hospital with some disease. Don't want him dead, but I want him gone, right? Whatever. Those thoughts can own you, can own people. So I'm not afraid of the boogeyman in the middle of the night, but it's that thought, the thing that makes me gossip, the thing that makes me hate, the thing that makes me says, I'm not going to help that person. They've burned enough bridges with me. I'm done with them. The lies that make me think that that's better than forgiveness. You see, the gospel brings truth to those lies. 
and says, Jesus is king. The cross restores. Forgiveness is more powerful than revenge. The Lord rules this earth. And he's in control. And you have nothing to worry about. The kings of the earth better, better bow down before the king of the world. Lest he get angry with them. See, there's the truth. God wants that truth out so that we could be set free from the power of the evil one, which is the lies. That's his heart. So he has sent us to the world. So what's his plan then? What's the plan of God? The plan of God is to empower us to understand the truth of God so that we can share it with the world. So we gather here. We, we're under his word. You, you, you have opportunity to study your Bible at home. We've got gazillion resources. We, we have everything we need in this world. And, and even if we didn't have all of the, the physical resources, you have, if you're in Christ, the one who wrote the Bible in you to give you the ability to understand it. And so we pour our lives into saying, I want his truth to wash over me so that when his truth washes over me, I can then bear witness to it to the people around me. So if I'm struggling with worry, when I struggle with worry, I read Psalm 2. That is my anti-worry psalm. Why? Because I'm reminded, Jesus runs the world. I'll rest there. When I struggle with not forgiving somebody, I read Matthew 19. Peter, how many times should we forgive? How about till you die? How about that thought? How about till it costs you everything? That's how much you should forgive. I'm, I get reminded of that. I want that truth to own me. And then, when I'm around somebody who's worrying, I can bring truth to them and bear witness to the truth. When I'm around somebody who's angry, I can bear witness to the truth. When I'm around somebody who's struggling at work and struggling to serve their boss, I can bear witness to the truth because, you see, the Spirit of God powers the child of God to bear testimony to the truth of God. That's the mission. We're out there telling the world this. All the way to the point where maybe we can tell somebody, listen, you think cutting someone's head off is going to achieve the glory of God? That's a lie. That's not truth. The truth is Jesus died for sinners so that they might live. That's the healing truth. So, there are lies around us. But we get the privilege of knowing the truth, bearing witness to it. That's the heart of God. That's what we're going to see as this message spreads throughout the book of Acts. So why don't we pray together here? Would you bow your head with me? I'm just going to pray for us in our own dealing with lies that can own us. Let's pray that we would be people of truth and then remember the Spirit has come to empower us to bear witness to the truth. But let's pray together. God, I thank you for the Spirit that came upon those disciples, rested upon them. Then you gathered the nations around them in your glory. And you allowed those people to speak every dialect in the Roman Empire. And they all got to hear your mighty words. 
Lord, that's an incredible thought. You did that with Galileans. You did not grab the mighty. You didn't grab the educated. You didn't grab those that were of the elite class. You used 120 people that everyone in the world would have bypassed to bear testimony of the glory of Jesus. Lord, the power resides not in us, but in your spirit. So Lord, we deal with lies. We deal with deception. We struggle. Lord, let us not be afraid of the silly things. Let us be aware of the reality that it's in lies and deception that problems come. May we be people of truth. May we turn to your truth. The lies that we maybe have believed, the lies that make us worry, the lies that make us anxious, the lies that make us angry, the lies that make us bitter, the lies that make us act out in ways to hurt people, cause us to think our, our wrath will accomplish more than your love. All of those lies, Lord, may your truth just wipe those clean within us. Allow us to be set free from the bondage of those lies. And then, Lord, use us. Put people in our path that need to hear your mighty works and how you set us free from these things so that we can bear testimony of your truth. Thank you that your spirit has come upon us, your children, to cause us to bear witness to your glory and your majesty. Thank you, God. I'm just excited that we get to unpack this more, Lord. May this week be a phenomenal week for us in, in living this way. And if it's your will that we gather next week, may we even delve into this more to really understand it. And I pray all this in Christ, who is our way, the truth, 